Blog Talk Radio. Archangels, ghosts, and Bigfoot, oh my. It's just another night for Supernatural Girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others. Here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker, and it is June 21st, 2023. We've got a great show coming up. And PK, before we introduce our guest, let's talk. What is happening? Tell us about well, the numbers. We've had a lot of things. A lot of things have been bouncing around right now. Saturn went retrograde on June 17th. And so it doesn't turn direct until November 4th. We've got that ongoing. The new moon on June 18th. So we've got all that happening right now. And people are trying to figure out, what are we going to be when we grow up? And I don't think anybody's <laughs> got some positive answers yet. Uh-oh. But I think one of the most important things to take a look at right now is June is all about family-type things and wanting to do things together because it's in Gemini. But a lot of it has to do with communication. So at this point in time, take a look at what's coming up, whether it's short writings that you want to do, if you need to write some letters or put things together, or you want to call people that you've been holding back and not letting it loose for a long time. This is a good month to kind of let things go because it will give you an opportunity to state your, shall we say, your side of it. There's a lot taking place because anything to do with home and family is what Gemini is all about, but mainly the communication. And if you've been thinking about wanting to write something or take a short trip, perfect time to do that as well. After all, it's only a couple of weeks left, not even that actually, until we're jumping into our July, which is going to be a firecracker. So let's stay with June for right now and get things taken care of as best we can. It's a good time to take some short trips, spend some time with friends, anything you can do with family because it deals with family. Don't overload your plate, though, and end up making people feel like you're force-feeding them. Take your time. Enjoy what you've got going. An excellent time, by the way, to do anything you want to do around the home. It's a good time to make some changes or choices as far as maybe you want to paint, maybe you want to redo the yard or something. Good time because everything revolves around home and family. And what you've got to say, get it said and get it over with. Don't stuff it and let it build up to become something it isn't. We tend to do that too often. So anytime you want to write something, good time to do it. Clear the air, get things out there, and you'll be able to say them in a way, certainly better than my voice is right now, but you'll be able to say them (laughs) in a way that will make it better understanding for others. We've got a lot going right now in 
people are a little leery of what to expect. And let's, we're not going to even go into the political arena because that sucks right now. But let's just concentrate on our family and our friends, see how well we can fix that. Just a thought. That sounds good. Yeah, that sounds like a good plan and something that is doable. And all this other craziness around right. us is, feels like it's it's something we, we really can't change much of. So <clears throat> good advice as always, PK. Thank you. And I want to well, direct you, everybody. Sorry. Yeah, I want to direct everybody to our homepage, supernaturalgirls.com, where mm-hmm. we have contact information for PK if you want your own personal numerology reading it's a good time to get that and you can reach pk through our website you can also reach her at patriciakirkman.com and we've also got on our homepage all of the personal health uh, techniques as well as vitamins as well as technology we've got the endolite band from dr weber that you will get a discount for as all we We'll always try to get a discount for our audience members who want to purchase anything that we have recommended. And we have liposomal vitamins in liquid form so that you don't have to walk around with 10 pounds of vitamin pills in your pocket. We can, you can just do it with the liquid, and I'm all for that. That is so much easier. You will also get a discount oh, yeah. if you purchase. Yeah, get, and get that discount, so save a little money. That way, the energy, phytosynthesized oxygen, is a revolutionary way to use oxygen. You know, what a lot of people don't realize, PK, is when they use oxygen for health, that they can get a buildup of free radicals from using the oxygen. Now, what energy has created is an oxygen machine that does not produce any free radicals at all. Plus, it's phytosynthesized, so you are getting a real experience of what is called in Europe forest breathing. So incredibly healing. You know, a lot of people will go into the forest and just sit down, meditate. They feel better, and there's a reason for that. Forest breathing is a very powerful form of healing. Now, these energy machines, um, they are all different sizes and colors and designs, and some of them are, are very elegant. They're made for a spa environment or a medical clinic. They also make ones for personal use. So I highly recommend Energy. It is a great technology. And I'll tell you what, remember when we had those stupid fires from Canada? All that smoke was oh, yeah. in here. <clears throat> Our skies were awfully gray and smoky. I've never seen this before in the Berkshires, never. And it was really awful. I mean, I would just walk by a window, even though the windows, all of them were closed, doors were closed, I could smell the smoke. Couldn't get away from it. And I was so glad that I had my air energy machine so that I could get oxygen, clean oxygen, clear oxygen to breathe. It was such a relief. So, if anybody's interested, the um, the person who takes care of sales in the United States is listed on our website, Joan DeBlasi. She can answer any questions you may have and highly recommend that, and especially with all the crazy things that are going on right now in the world, in our air and in our food and every other place. So take a look at the energy machine. It is really great. If you know a spa that could use it, let them know about it because it's a perfect treatment you can combine it with anything else 
and it's very easy to use. 20 minutes, that's all it takes. So, anyhow, we have a super-duper guest tonight. Now, yes, I remember growing do. up and reading about this. The Bermuda Triangle mm-hmm. has been a mystery forever. And I loved reading about it. I hated hearing about people obviously disappearing and not returning. Um, but tonight, we have a pilot who survived the Bermuda Triangle twice. He is a licensed pilot and a certified flight instructor. And as far as we know, he's the only one to survive the space-time warp in the Bermuda Triangle. Now, tonight you're going to hear his amazing story and how he has devoted his life to researching the phenomenon that may explain missing people, planes, and ships. And believe me, I looked online. There are a lot of them. Now, Bruce's, Bruce Kiernan is also the author of The Fog, Beyond the Bermuda Triangle, True Encounters with Electronic Fog, Missing Aircraft, and Time Warps, and The Bermuda Triangle Legacy. Now, Bruce has extensive flight experience. He's a certified flight instructor. He's an active pilot for 52 years. He has a commercial pilot rating, a helicopter rating, a seaplane rating, an instrument rating. Now, this is an amazing amount of credentials. So, obviously, we know we are talking to an expert tonight. Now, Bruce has been married for 50 years to his lovely wife, Lynn, and they have a daughter, Keely Burton, and two grandchildren, Kaylee and Reed Burton. And Bruce is with us tonight. So, Bruce, welcome to the show. Hey, Patricia. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And hello, PK. It's our pleasure. Well, we're thrilled. Yeah, we are really thrilled to have you on the show talking about this subject tonight. So, again, you have extensive training, and you're the one to talk to about what this is really about. But start at the beginning. How did this whole experience unfold for you? What happened? Well, it started uh, on uh, December 4th of 1970. That's when I had this incredible experience flying my airplane uh, in the Bahamas. But uh, I was only 23 years old at the time. And, uh, but I had been flying for uh, six years. And we had been flying, uh, my dad and I were doing a lot of flying. We were developers uh, in South Florida. And we wanted to uh, develop uh, a resort in the uh, Bahamas. So uh, my dad was also a pilot. So uh, we used to fly to the Bahamas about uh, once a month while we were looking for property over a five-year period. And uh, then we, we found some land that we liked on Andros Island in the Bahamas. That That's the largest Bahama Island. It's, it's 110 miles long and, and uh, 40 miles wide. It's not. It's only 30 miles from Nassau. And it's a 210 mile trip from where we kept our airplane in uh, Palm Beach International Airport in South Florida. Uh-huh. So a direct flight would be 210 miles to the airport that we went to 
in Andros where we discovered some land that we liked called Big Wood Key. And uh, we were going to have a, a, a nice resort built there. And so we started flying there uh, once a week for almost a year while we made arrangements for the development. So I was uh, real familiar with the flight. We, we had a, a, a new uh, single-engine Beechcraft Bonanza, which was a, a very stable airplane. We still make it today. And uh, it cruises almost 200 miles an hour, old six passengers. And so I had made the flight uh, dozens of times, the exact uh, same flight, back and forth from Palm Beach to Andros. And uh, never really experienced uh, anything unusual. Uh, but but my uh, two uh, aviation uh, mentors that I worked with and uh, they taught me a lot about flying in the Bahamas, they, they told me about a, a strange storm that uh, they experienced uh, near Andros Island. And um, they were both pilots, and they had uh, been flying two airplanes on this day. One was a jet, a private jet, and the other one a twin-engine smaller airplane. And they encountered a strange, strange storm, they said. It almost looked like an atomic bomb. Uh, and uh, it scared them. And, uh, at least they so they saw something to... that... Did they see something that looked mm-hmm. like a mushroom cloud? Is that what they're saying? Yeah, it had a strange ring around it. It it it, it grew up, it climbed up real fast. It built up real fast, and while it was building up, it had a strange ring around it. Hmm. And uh, the one pilot, he was he actually saw the atomic bomb take off. He was the B twenty nine backup pilot for the bomb that they dropped on uh, Japan. 1943, and uh, so he actually saw the mushroom cloud. He compared it to that. He said it looked like that. Wow. And he he'd flown in the center of a hurricane, in the eye of a hurricane, but he said it wasn't like a hurricane. It was, it was much smaller, like like the atomic bomb. And it, it built up real, all of a sudden, real fast. And that was the only unusual thing I ever heard about in the Bahamas. Uh, and and the the word, uh, the term Bermuda Triangle was not really known. This was back in the, the late 60s. Uh, so it was on uh, December 4th, 1970, when we had spent the night there in Andros. And uh, we were going to take off early in the morning and fly back to uh, Palm Beach. And uh, it ended up, uh, we, we wanted to leave early, but there was too much uh, storms everywhere. Apparently, the whole island was covered with uh, a large storm. Uh, and uh, we couldn't uh, take off. And back then, uh, in 1970, the, uh, the weather was... Uh, not available from Andros Island. There were no telephones on the island, so you couldn't call up and oh find my. out. 
<clears throat> what the weather was doing. And, and so it uh, cleared up uh, in the afternoon. But it was still slightly raining, but the, we were able to go to the airport and uh, go ahead and depart. Uh, but it was... Uh, so, let me just ask you about the, the storms that you you encountered in the morning that prevented you from flying. Were they thunder and lightning? Was it just a big rainstorm? What exactly kind of weather was it? Well, I've had uh, I've, I've researched my experience with a lot of uh, scientists, and uh, one scientist was able to. He was a meteorologist, and he was able to look up exactly what the weather was on that day, going through the weather icons. And it, it, in the morning, it was just heavy thunderstorm, and uh-huh. uh, started dispersing in the afternoon. But it, it covered the entire island of thunderstorms, but not over the ocean. It was clear over the ocean. Oh, that's weird. So there was a lot of lightning, yeah, but it wasn't a problem. We, we were able to uh, take off, and, and so we didn't have a lot of navigation equipment back then either. But the compass was the main navigation, along with uh, this time, time itself, the the clock, the chronograph, uh, was everything uh, along with the compass and as far as navigating. But we did have uh, three other electronic navigational instruments that we were able to use. And uh, after we got airborne, we were able to tune in uh, Bimini Island, which is about halfway between Andros and Palm Beach. So we took off, and I noticed the time, and it was exactly 3 p.m. when we lifted off. And so we made note of that. And everybody checked their watches, and I started the timer on the airplane's watch, chronograph. And we uh, picked up the, the automatic direction finder with the needle that points to the antenna of uh, on Bimini Island. So that was helping us to steer uh, in a northwest heading, mm-hmm. flying over the interior of the island. And it was overcast at 1,500 feet, and uh, so we were uh, flying at uh, 180 miles an hour at uh, 1,000 feet. And uh, so it took uh, almost 10 minutes to reach the western shoreline of Andros Island, and, and that borders what's known as the Great Bahama Bank. That's a large area of shallow waters of average about 12 feet that are in mm-hmm. between Andros Island and Bimini Island. And when we reached this shoreline, I could see offshore that uh, there weren't any more storms. It looked like it was perfectly clear weather. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, so we had to decide whether we were going to continue to Palm Beach. And yeah, that that sound that looked good. So we uh, went ahead and uh, 
started to head offshore. And then uh, just offshore, I noticed there was a, an unusual clown. It was uh, kind of shaped like a, a lens. You could, it, it, they're known as lenticular clouds, but, uh, what it looked like. But they form usually only at high altitudes. And they have just... Uh, smooth edges. They're, they're not like a normal cumulus cloud that you see at the lower levels. It looks kind of like cauliflower. Yeah. This is had Amazing. smooth edges. It was about a mile long, half mile wide, maybe a thousand feet thick, and uh, it was it was hovering. It seemed to be hovering just offshore, about 500 feet above the ocean. And it wasn't moving, but wind, the winds were light and variable anyway. So it looked harmless, and because it, it was directly in our flight path, but uh, I figured, well, it's not a problem. So because I was getting ready to start climbing right then, once we got clear of the clouds, storm clouds over the end of and so we flew over the Great Bahama Bank and started ascending. We planned on uh, flying at an assigned altitude of uh, 10,500 feet. And uh, so when I got up to about uh, 3,000 feet, I, I was able to contact Miami Radio because uh, we were high enough in altitude to reach them. And uh, I asked them about the weather to see how it was flying from Andros to Palm Beach. And they said, oh, it's clear the whole way. And they said, there's some large scattered thunderstorms over South Florida, though, and over the Everglades. But he said that uh, shouldn't be a problem circumnavigating them. So yeah, it sounded great. So I had to file my flight plan. I was busy doing that, and uh, I, then I signed off with the uh, air traffic controller, and uh, I'm still climbing up uh, now. I'm like at uh, say 4,000 feet, and uh, so I look below me, and I see there's a cloud below me. It's like uh, where'd that come from? Hmm. And uh, apparently, uh, it was the, that lenticular cloud that we first went over, and, I, uh, and then it, it was it was building up underneath us, and then, and it was building up so fast that it caught up to the airplane. Uh, we were we were climbing at, at a thousand feet per minute, and it was it was building up faster than that, maybe fifteen hundred oh feet a minute. So we had to go inside it, and that was kind of unusual. And uh, visibility dropped down to near zero, but it was similar to being in a typical cloud. Uh, it wasn't turbulent, uh, and uh, visibility is low though. It was just pure white, and uh, strange. Kept climbing and maintaining the right heading and climbing a thousand feet per minute, and then. I popped out of the storm cloud or whatever it was and uh, got on top of it. And I thought, well, hmm, must be the birth stage of a cumulonimbus thunderstorm that I'm experiencing. And I just happened to fly over it at the point where it was building up into a, a big thunderstorm. But that's not what it was. So... I could only get about 200 feet above it, and then it would catch up to me again, and I'd go back inside. 
So I'd be inside of it for about 30 seconds, and then I'd pop out of it, probably because it had the updrafts, and I'm climbing up. Uh, and it would boost me with the updrafts, and I'd pop out of it again. Then I'd get 200 feet above it, and then it'd catch up to me again. So this time... Now, let me ask you... Five- let, let me ask you a question, Bruce, about this, because obviously you're now uh, on the precipice of this paranormal event. So when you were finding yourself overtaken by this lenticular cloud, did you feel anything else? I mean, did you feel like the hair on the back of your neck standing up or uh, anything kind of electromagnetic around you, or you were just focused on flying the plane? Yeah, well, the, you're making the hair on the back of my neck stand up by just talking to me like that. But <laughs> at that point, <laughs> uh, I guess <laughs> yeah. I was super concentrated. Trained a pilot concentrates on flying the airplane. That's number one mm-hmm. always. And so I wasn't really nervous or scared. And, and well, I was kind of I had. A, Somewhat of a macho problem. One of the problems that I had with flying was that I was con- I had a macho man uh, attitude. It's called. Uh, I wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't afraid of that, which is really not not a good attitude for a pilot. But I was only 22 years old. Right. But my dad was right. pilot. So, so now we we've been flying now for almost 20 minutes. So. Been climbing up for going on ten minutes, and uh, uh, we got to ten thousand five hundred feet where we were supposed to be leveling off. But my dad said uh, uh, suggested that we turn around and go back to Andros. But I, I didn't think that was a good idea. I, I was considered the pilot in command, so that I he always had me make the major decisions. And, uh, uh, I didn't think it would be good to fly back into this thing the way it's building up because we may run into big trouble while we're flying back. So, I, But I considered it, and I, just, I told him, well, give me another minute and uh, let me think about it. And uh, so then after another minute, and we're at 11,500, I popped out of the cloud, and I'm in clear blue sky again. And so I level off at 11,500. And when I looked on the sides, on either side, and behind me, I was pretty amazed at what I was seeing here. That that, that little lenticular cloud had spread out all the way as far as I could see on both sides of me. Uh, for 10 miles on either side, I could see at least 20 miles of it behind the airplane. And it was like a, a squall. I figured, well, it must have turned into a squall instead of just an isolated thunderstorm. And uh, it, it had built up now to over 20, almost 30,000 feet behind me. Hmm. So I didn't realize that was happening either. You know, I was like flying on the leading edge of it while it was spreading out apparently. And it, way behind me, it was building way, way up high. And I was like, 
out running it more or less. It must have sound like you were being stalked because this thing was like, it it seems like it was kind of following you. Well, almost felt like that. <laughs> I think it was just fate. I noticed that the the edges of the storm that I could see over the ocean uh, were perfectly symmetrical, which I found very unusual. As most squalls usually have like scalloped edges or and curves going in and out. You know, they're not perfect. This is perfect. Hmm. Unusual. Started cruising at almost 200 miles an hour. And I kind of sat back and, and took a deep breath and then relaxed. And, uh, I was happy that we had uh, escaped from this squall. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then after about three minutes, I, uh, I look in front of me and I see another squall with the same perfect curve semicircular shape and now it's like 40,000 feet up or so. So it's too high for me to climb over it. I thought maybe I could fly under it and so I took a good look underneath and there was another unusual thing that was just laying on the surface of the ocean. It, uh, not like a normal squall. A normal squall has a ceiling to it or a base or it could be rain, you know, usually like a, a thousand feet high or so where it starts. And this wasn't like that. It was almost like fog where it just laid right on the surface of the ocean. Hmm. And uh, I thought that was strange. Now, I'm using my instruments now to fly directly to Bimini. I'm about 45 miles from Bimini. And uh, I didn't want to change my assigned flight course yet, so I figured, well, I'll penetrate into this storm and yeah, see what it looks like. Because it, it didn't, I didn't see any lightning or anything. And so I went into it, and uh, visibility was was pretty good this time. It was at least a couple of miles because I could still see the ocean two miles below me. And, uh, so I kept going in, and after I got about a mile in, I started noticing flashes. And uh, and then after I got about two miles in, I noticed that these flashes were really getting bright and, and intense. And then when I got about three miles in, uh, it just got so black. It was, it was like a black abyss. I, I couldn't see the ocean anymore but until the flash would ignite. And then I could... It was like super bright, and I could see the ocean below me. And, uh, it, and it wasn't lightning bolts; it was just lightning flashes. It was just strange stuff, but it started to scare me a little bit. And uh, so I said, "No, I'm not going to keep going because the deeper I went, the more intense it became." Uh, so I made a sharp turn to the left and, and, and popped out of the cloud and started heading due south. And uh, right at that point, I contacted the air traffic controller and told him I was deviating from my flight path and I was uh, going to head south and, and see if 
I could find a place to fly around this squall. And uh, he calmly said, oh, yeah, okay, fine. Uh, give me a call back when you get around it. He said real calmly, which is kind of odd because he took ten, uh, it was like 10 minutes earlier. He, he told me, oh, it's clear skies in between Andros and Palm Beach. And was he able to to see um, the the issues that you were encountering? Was he able to see that that, that it went from question, being a clear right? sky to this crazy thing, it, whatever it, it was? It's possible that he, he couldn't see it on the radar because how did your father talk. respond to all of this? How, how was your father what? responding to all of this? Did he just say sit there quietly with <laughs> Fred firing? Yeah. Yeah, he he was fine because you know I'm fine and uh, I don't get scared, so I kept him calm. Oh, that's, oh, that's good. good. He, he did. At one point, he panicked, but I I'll get to that in a little bit. Okay, uh, good. So we uh, flew along the edge of the storm, heading south southerly, and the more I flew along the edge, the more I'm starting to fly back toward the east because it's curving that way and then I get to the point where I can see wait a minute this thing is curving right back into the storm that I flew out of so mm-hmm. I realized that this thing must be circular shaped now and I'm in the middle of it and and then I, I, I witnessed to the west of me where the two ends of the semicircle connected on the bottom. So hmm. it, it was it was to do that it had to be traveling well over two hundred miles an hour from the lenticular cloud. But it would be like taking gasoline and pouring it in a big circle and igniting yeah. it. Yeah. And it would spread out. It wasn't really a a, a three hundred mile an hour wind. It it was an ignition. The whole thing just kind of ignited real fast. And I got to see the two ends of it meet on the bottom. And so there was this big valley in between the two squalls. And the valley, I could see clear blue sky on the other side. And that was heading right toward uh, Miami. And so I figured, well, I'll shoot uh, in between there and go go through that valley and... uh, get over to the clear sky and get away from the storm. So, as I approached that now, I had been flying for uh, 20, 29 minutes. We, we were keeping exact times. And uh, the two bottoms connected and then two anvil heads formed, one on each side, one from each squall. And an anvil head is typical in thunderstorms uh, when there's not a lot of wind. Where it, at the top of the, thunder, of the storm, like an arm will reach out way to the side of the storm. So there was one arm on one side and one arm on the other side. It was almost like two fingers connected on the top when they connected. Hmm. And now, 
for everybody's reference, because I know a lot of people listening are just used to travel in a commercial plane. So they may not be aware that when you encounter storms like this, it gets it can get pretty dicey. I mean, that can really bounce your plane around in a very dangerous way, right? So you're looking to avoid that. Yeah. Uh, the, the main thing is it, it, it formed this tunnel. And the pilots are trained not to fly through tunnels. The, uh, oh. When I was just... When I was a student pilot, uh, the, uh, this is in 1965, I remember my uh, flight instructor was given a, a night class, and he, he told us a story about a good friend of his that flew through a horizontal tongue just offshore here in South Florida. And uh, he said that the guy disappeared. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought... Maybe he maybe crashed, but it, it might be that he, he just kind of vanished. Uh, but anyway, yeah. they really warned us. They said, "Don't." Uh, they never found him. You know, it's like, "Don't fly through." Oh, they didn't. A sucker. They called them sucker holes back then. But I, I, I've good names for all these things. I, I call this a vortex tunnel. Or you could call it a vortex time tunnel. And hmm. I'm the only living pilot that's flown through one. There's there's been pilots that have flown through them, but they ended up crashing or just disappearing. And oh my goodness! And you're talking about disappearing plane and all, right? Yeah. It, <laughs> It happens, yeah, it's happened to not that many, but, but yeah, they, it's possible that they can actually disappear if they, they go through a tunnel like this. But I didn't want to go through the tunnel, but it, it, because the storm was wrapped all around us, like I was explaining, it, it was the mm-hmm. only escape. And I didn't want to face the consequences of what would happen if I stayed in the middle of this opening of this incredible storm that was building up. So I decided to go ahead and shoot through the tunnel. And uh, I didn't realize that uh, that these tunnels only last about three to four minutes. And and then they collapse. Ooh. So it can collapse with you flying inside of it. That sounds pretty yeah, dangerous. That's, yeah, that's probably what's happened to some of the pilots that have tried to escape by flying through one. Um, so when the tunnel first formed, it was you know, almost a mile wide, and it was about uh, 10 miles or more long, and it was perfectly horizontal. But... Uh, I was at uh, 11,500 feet, and uh, I noticed at the center of the tunnel was around 10,000. So I started diving down, and I noticed that it was closing rapidly. So I went to full power at 230 miles an hour. And my dad, you know, I couldn't hear with him. 
that this is what we're going to do. He agreed. He, that it was the only way to escape this thing, too. So. Is that when your dad panicked that that he saw that you had to fly not, through this thing? Not, not quite. We no? went ahead and entered this tunnel. And uh, when we entered it, see, something incredible happened. Uh, it changed its appearance. The tunnel did. Hmm. And I, I've, there's videos that show it, uh, like on... Uh, Lots of television shows have shown it. And, uh, I've got some uh, graphic uh, renderings uh, that uh, show what it looks like and uh, how it, uh, it's, these strange lines formed and ro- rotated counterclockwise. They, and the lines were like hovering off the walls of the tunnel. And they weren't there before I uh, entered it, I could see through there. It was clear. There weren't any swirling lines. But uh, I believe it was it was the mass of the airplane that did this. You see, this tunnel has got all kinds of forms of uh, energy, and, uh, electricity and magnetism, gamma rays, dark matter, all different things are going around and around this swirling tunnel. So you must have felt like happened? you were in the twilight zone. I mean, this sounds like something yeah. right out of the twilight zone. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Kind of looked like that, and I, I should have been in it to, for three minutes to reach the other end, uh, according to how fast my airplane was. But, but uh, it only took like 20 seconds before I reached the other end. I thought that was amazing. And the, and the wingtips scraped the edges of the tunnel because it was getting ready to close when I reached the exit. Oh, my and, God. And when I looked behind me after we got out, I, it did close. It turned into like Yikes. a split. And the split was now rotating and looked like clockwise. And this is where my theory of... Uh, Electronic fog comes in, and, and it, it took me 30 years to, to come up with this theory because it's so difficult to understand uh, what happened. Uh, but instantly, after I went out of the tunnel, everything turned gray. It was blue, blue sky. Hmm. Everything turns gray, and at the same time, I'm feeling this real strange sensation, zero gravity. And, and it wasn't normal zero gravity. It was uh, zero gravity with a combination of hydroplaning forward. So was, I felt like I was skidding forward and, and floating in space, zero gravity. Sensation. And everything turned gray. And I noticed it was like a buzzy gray. I mean, I mean it was full of electricity. And I looked at my instruments to get an idea of where I was. I figured I was uh, 90 miles. I was 100 miles east of my, uh, Miami when I entered the tunnel. So when I came out of it, I figured I was 90 miles east. And I looked at my instruments and tried to verify that, and, and I couldn't, 
I wasn't able to do it. So I asked my dad, because he was the chief navigator and normally really good at getting the position fixed is what I asked him for. And he was fumbled with the instruments, and then I noticed what's going on. All the instruments were going haywire. Oh, and my God. Even the, mag- even the magnetic compass was slowly spinning counterclockwise. And it was really, really freaky. Uh, it's hard to explain. Well, the visibility was almost looked good, but then it wasn't good. Something was weird. And, mm-hmm. uh, but I figured, well, I'll contact the air traffic controller and let them know I got around the storm, <laughs> hopefully. And uh, yeah, I was able to contact him. And, and they, I told him where I should be, uh, about 85 miles or more east, southeast of uh, Miami. And... Uh, but he had the radar, and he, he said, hmm, I, I can't find you on radar. He says, right now, I don't have any airplanes flying in between Arnold's Island and, and Miami. I said, so he couldn't sure? see you at all? No. Mm-hmm. We had a, a radar instrument on board Were called the Were you feeling any physical difference in your body? Were you feeling you know any what? physical difference in your body when this was going on? Just that only lasted about 10 seconds. Uh-huh. The, the zero grass. And then, so then we started for flying airplane again and concentrating on that and finding out he didn't know where we were located. That didn't help. And that's uh, when my dad went into a state of panic. He, he ripped the microphone out of my hand and started screaming oh. at the air traffic controller. I'm with him. <laughs> Which you don't usually do on the radio. And uh, so he's cussing him out and he was going nuts. So I had to take grab the microphone back from him. And I was able to calm him down. I said, Hey, we're still flying, you know. I slowed down to hundred and eighty. We're still level at uh, ten thousand feet and, and it was cruising, you know, no pumps or anything. Mm-hmm. So then uh, we had a passenger. He was a business partner that was in the back seat. So he taps me on the shoulder and starts talking to me. And uh, uh, I couldn't understand a word he was saying. Huh? Was like, what's going on? Yeah. He was like slurring every word. Was, he was so bad, I, I just had to blank him out of my mind. Uh, and not think about so he was very much affected by by all of this electrical activity that was making your yeah. your dials go crazy, all well, of your instrumentation. Yeah, he, but he felt it. Well, it sounds like it, yeah. it really kind of fried him. Oh yeah, we, we were in the, at this point we were inside the electronic fog, and it, it has different intensities. I kind of rated it with five different categories and. and we were in like a category four, and uh, so we couldn't see anything really, and, and all the instruments are not working. And time and space is being affected. And uh, it can make people go to sleep. It's done that to pilots, actually made them pass out. It can make you nauseous, make you dizzy. 
so it can make you panic. It's a very scary I'm thing. <laughs> it like is. I mean, it took 30 years for me to figure it out. Why? What was going on? And uh, because then all of a sudden the radar controller comes back, and this is after only three minutes. And he, he says, well, I've got an uh, airplane directly over Miami Beach. And so I look at my watch, and I said, uh, no, 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 that's not us. Uh, we had have, we have 30 minutes more flight time we had needed to do. We don't have been flying for uh, 33 minutes. And uh, he said, are you sure? And then another incredible thing happened. Uh, this fog, I call it an electronic dissipation. It all of a sudden, these lines formed parallel to the direction of our flight, and they were all around the airplane. And, and they looked—they appeared to be a mile or two miles long or something. And I thought I was in this thick, this big gob of fog, and it was breaking up. And the lines cracked open, and then I could see blue yeah. sky on the other side of the air. And then, then it only took like 10 seconds because the lines kept spreading out and cracking open, and then they, they disappeared in 10 seconds. And now I'm in clear blue sky. And so what had happened is this electronic fog was attached to our aircraft. And that's what took me so long to figure out. All these years, there's been many, many pilots and boaters and people on the ground even in the cars you know, that have been in it. And uh, they think it's a big fog bank like I did. No one ever realized that this can attach to the craft or the vessel. And it stays with you. And then apparently when I went from the ocean to the land, that, that, change in the atmosphere maybe uh, made it dissipate. Hmm. And so then I, I signed off with the radar controller. He knew something incredible had happened. He didn't, he didn't want to sign me off. But I, I wanted to get back to Palm Beach. So I had to go way out of my way to Palm Beach. And then there was almost another unusual thing, a huge thunderstorm over Fort Lauderdale and then another huge thunderstorm over the Everglades. And they were connected to each other, except in the middle, of the, between the two storms, there was like an opening on the bottom. It was kind of like going under a, a bridge. And I had to climb down hmm. to go from 11,500 to 500 feet to get in between these two thunderstorms and fly between this strange bridge over the Everglades, way out west over the Everglades out of my way. And then I turned back to the northeast and, and flew to uh, Pavichan National. And so when I touched down, I noted that the trip had taken 47 minutes. And uh, all the clocks were working fine. And, and I made that flight uh, dozens of times. And uh, it always took closer to 80, 80 or 90 minutes. And see, so there was like a a half hour, at least, of time missing somehow. Oh, my God. And then, and then also we checked the gas. <laughs> we always 
filled up the gas tank after the flight from the Bahamas, and and we used ten gallons less fuel than we ever used before on that same oh. flight path. No kidding. Which would last for the thirty minutes of time. So. Well, we've, we've got a lot, a lot of questions. Before you go on, though, we're going to take a very short commercial break and come back, and okay. I have a whole bunch of questions for you, and I know PK does too. So stay tuned, everybody. This is quite an adventure. We are speaking with Bruce Gernon. He is a pilot. He is highly trained as a pilot, and he is the only pilot that we know of that has survived the Bermuda Triangle. So stay tuned, everybody. We will be right The health benefits of sunlight to our body are well known. Light energizes, light lifts your mood, and light can heal. What if all these benefits were combined into one portable device that you can use in the comfort of your home? The German medical device manufacturer Weber Medical has recently launched the Endolite Band. The Endolite Band looks like a smartwatch but does so much more. This revolutionary band is equipped with true laser diodes that irradiate the circulating blood via your arteries. Each color provides its own powerful benefits. Red and infrared light deliver energy and regulate your immune system and blood pressure. Yellow is a real mood booster and improves sleep quality. Green impacts oxygen supply. And blue has anti-inflammatory effects. The Endolite band has three programs. Recharge helps you start your day with energy. If you want to unwind and clear your head after a busy day, select Relax. When you need full support, select Recover, activating all diodes at the same time for the full range of effects. Improve your well-being at the touch of a button. 30 minutes per day gives you the advantage, and there are no side effects. Let the Endolite Band bring you a healthier life. Order now at www.wmedicalsystems.com. That's www.wmedicalsystems.com wmedicalsystems.com Your property tax bill. Have you seen it lately? It's frightening. Your property taxes are going up while your home value is going down. It's time to fight back and win. For the real truth about the property tax system, get attorney Pat Quintilian's book, Are You Getting Screwed on Your Property Taxes? How to Find Out and How to Fix It. Attorney Quintilian answers all your questions and gives you the facts you need to fight a property tax bill that is spiraling out of control. You'll also read about what happens to property owners who don't check their property records, only to find out too late they're taxed on square footage, fixtures, and even buildings that they don't own. Is this happening to you? Learn your rights. Buy Attorney Pat Quintilian's book today. Are you getting screwed on your property taxes? How to find out and how to fix it. Available on Amazon.com. Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to Supernatural Girls Radio with your host, Patricia Baker, that's me, and co-host PK. And our guest tonight is a survivor of the Bermuda Triangle. Bruce Gernon is with us tonight. And Bruce... We've got questions. I was wondering a couple of things. But first, I'll start with the plane. When you finally landed, and I know you said you checked the gas and you, you used less gas than you had in the past, were there any marks on the plane? Did you notice anything? Because you said the wings touched the outside or the inside of that tunnel. Did you see anything? 
Uh, none of the wings touched the anvil while the tunnel was collapsing and these uh, contrails formed behind the wingtips. But uh, I didn't notice anything. The plane was fine. Mm-mm. We were lucky. Yes. Very definitely. And what about a, a change in your consciousness? Did you notice anything? Like you were thinking about things differently or you had more vivid dreams or anything like that? Uh, well, later, yeah, in, in life, I mean, yeah, I've had, it has affected me. But, but while I was making the flight, uh, nothing like that happened. Uh, I just was too concentrated on flying the airplane. And uh, and then not realizing what had happened. It, it was unexplainable what we experienced because it didn't make sense. And, and I, I didn't realize that time had something to do with it, space-time. And so I, I, I really couldn't even talk about it uh, for a year until I learned about the Bermuda Triangle. And then after that, uh, to answer your question, uh, uh, it may have affected uh, me as far as time goes. Uh, I've had some uh, precognitions, I guess you'd call them. uh, Oh. uh, The future that have incredibly come true, and and then the, the past also. Wow! Did your father did your father go through some of the same things that you did? Um, no, not not the uh, psychic part of it. Uh, no, he mm-hmm. he knew he knew something incredible happened, and uh, he always uh, backed up my research. But you know, he he had uh, other business things to keep his mind on. Where I. Mm-hmm. Actually, I became obsessed for a while uh, in the research of it. And now it's it's become my passion. I'm going to spend the rest of my life. I mean, I've been working on this now for 53 years. And so I'm going to dedicate the rest of my life to, to this subject. And my main goal right now is to promote electronic fog. That because mm-hmm. lots of people have experienced electronic fog and they don't even know it because it, in category one it, it's just a, a like a haze and, uh, mm-hmm. and so, so they they think they're driving through a hazy area or flying through a hazy area or in their boat in a hazy area or taking a walk uh, but uh, they don't realize it's attached to them. Did you find it so fascinating? Yeah. Did you find a difference in your overall physical stamina after going through this? No, physically everything was fine. Just uh, Mm -hmm. just mentally, everything seemed amazing. No, an incredible, incredible experience, Uh, and almost to almost like religious. I guess you could say, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, I mean, you survived it, and you went right through this thing before it, right before it collapsed. I mean, there must have been an angel on your shoulder. And thank goodness you kept your wits about you, and you didn't panic, even though you had reason to panic. 
experience something as strange as this. But my goodness, so now you've identified, it sounds like, four or five categories of electronic fog. So you were talking about the first one where people could be taking a walk or driving their car, and it's a Category 1 electronic fog, and they don't even know they're really in the middle of it. Um, And then what happens with Category 2? Well, it would be uh, a bit thicker, and uh, I guess uh, I was in that uh, category in 1996. Uh, uh, over the Everglades, and it, it mm-hmm. attached to. It wasn't powerful enough to attach to the entire plane, and, and so it only attached on the bottom. And uh, it kind of it creates like an illusion. I, I thought I was flying over uh, a, a huge fog bank, but the bank was was below me. I, I thought o- over the land. I had no. In 1996, I didn't come up with my theory that it attaches to you. And then this is a whole other long story that I'm, I'm going to write about. Uh, I, anyway, it uh, formed a hole like a tunnel underneath the airplane. So there, there ended up there was a small tunnel about the same width diameter as the airplane right below the airplane in, hmm. in the clouds. And, and so I'm flying over this. I thought I was flying over it. And I'm seeing this hole underneath the airplane, and I can look through it, and I see the Everglades moving the same speed as me, 180 miles an hour. What is that? Oh, my God. You see that? Yeah, right. It's like, that's what I said. <laughs> I said, that's not possible. <laughs> but that's what I was seeing. And uh, I figured, well, it just must be another, maybe an uh, elliptical uh, illusion or, uh, or some sort of uh, related to a rainbow, maybe, you know. It's like a, another form of uh, meteorology that, that uh, I'm looking at. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Amazing. So I, I got away from that, no problem, but... Uh, it ended up three years later. It hit me while I was researching my flight through the tunnel that uh, it was the same kind of fog that I was in when I went from 100 miles east of Miami all the way to Miami in only three minutes. Oh my God! Yeah, I, I wasn't flying through a, a gigantic fog bank that was almost 100 miles wide, it, it was probably only uh, 100 yards wide. Oh, my. It was attached to my airplane. So that's why when I look out, I couldn't see uh, what was going. But, uh, I mean, I could, but I could see, but it, everything was not normal. It was all kind of fuzzy. So. Now, Bruce, do you think... Now that you've studied this for such a long period of time and experienced it twice at least, do you think there's an intelligence with this? That it has its own intelligence? It seems like it does from the way you're describing it. 
Right. Those, these are the big questions that uh, need to be answered. And, and so just, it's still a great mystery as to exactly what it is. But one thing for sure is I know it's for real. The mm-hmm. majority of the people yeah. are thinking, oh, there's nothing really unusual out there in the Bermuda Triangle. There is something unusual. And it's called electronic fog. And it is a natural phenomenon. The one that I encountered over the Everglades came from a thunderstorm. I call these thunderstorms time storms. And they can form vortex tunnel right over the Everglades. And then when the tunnel collapses, they emit like a spear of this electronic fog. And if you fly through this fog, it's going to attach to you. Whether you're in a car, even if you're walking or in a boat, in an airplane, it depends on where this sphere of fog drifts. Because it can last, similar to other fogs, many, many hours. Yeah. But the the vortex tunnel only lasts a few minutes, and then it collapses. And what do you think, then, is happening, Bruce, to these people who disappear? Where do they go? Because, as you were mentioning, the plane isn't found, the people aren't found, the ships aren't found. There's two places they could go. If if they're caught in this natural phenomena, it could be like a portal, and they could just sort of go to another time, another space. If it's yeah. in the full strength category five, and you asked me the other thing would be. Is, is somebody using it? Well, yeah, I would say that UFOs, uh, they flying saucers, I've seen them. I've flown right next to one, right in the really? same area. That's, that's oh. another story. He, they were on the same exact flight path that I took from Andros to Miami when I went through the tunnel. Oh, a my huge flying it's almost like a flight path for them. Um, but the energy of electronic fog, they, they have harnessed it. Ah, so okay. They can, they can make all these maneuvers that have something to do with time. They can make a turn at thousands of miles an hour with no curve to it, just a square turn. They shoot up, shoot down at incredible speed. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's electronic fog. It's kind of like lightning helps us to have electronic cars now. And and soon you're going to see a lot of electronic airplanes. And it all originated from uh, learning how to harness lightning to electricity. Mm -hmm. So this would be the same with the electronic fog. It can be harnessed, and the UFOs have harnessed it. That makes total sense. Some of the latest the videos that the Navy has captured. Yeah, of, the Tic Tac ones. Yep. You, you know, you can notice on some of them, not the Tic Tacs though, the, the ones that are more saucer shaped. So the uh-huh. Tic Tac ones too, I think those are just remote control, like drones. But mm. the, the bigger ones, they have like an, a haze all around the craft. 
Uh-huh. Which could that could be the electronic fog. That could be. It's all around, yeah, it's all around the crowd. Well, the power of this thing to displace people through time and space <clears throat> is amazing. And But, again, it does make me think that there's some type of intelligence to it. I, it sounds like it was after you the first time when you and your father and your guest uh, mm-hmm. were, were flying. I mean, it, it does sound like that because as you were going up, it was going up to overtake you. So it's it's like it had you on its radar, but thank God it didn't get you. But this is this is so fascinating. So I really wonder. Well, let me ask you this: Have you seen the television series Manifest, which is about this kind of thing? Uh, yeah, but uh, that's like a science fiction. I, I'm more interested in shows like Skinwalker Ranch. Okay, so what they're doing more research. Dr. Taylor's really doing a great job on that. And, and, you, and you didn't mention my latest book. It's called The Bermuda Triangle Survivor. And uh, it uh, just came out. You can find it on Amazon. Uh, and it's, it's kind of dedicated to young adults, student scientists, I would like to call them. And you don't have to be young. I'm trying to get this in the minds of... Uh, Anybody that's interested in, in science and, and physics and meteorology, and so they can understand that this is real, mm-hmm. and, and somebody will contribute something to add to the mystery. Well, I'd really like to suggest that you get in touch with David Polites from Missing 411, the Can-Am Project, because uh-huh. I, I think uh, this might be a big piece of the puzzle for these people who disappear and you may get some uh some good connections there through david for other like-minded uh, researchers and scientists who can help put all of this together but you are definitely onto something bruce that is so big and so important and god bless you for doing this for putting it all together because it it does. It, this is a part of our world that we don't understand, and we need to understand it, especially since UFOs have harnessed it already. They know what they're doing right. with it. We don't. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been I've been doing this for humanity all this time, really. Uh, not not to try to make profit, just to help uh, humanity. Well, you're doing a good job. Well, you are. This this has been just a, an incredible show with you tonight, Bruce, and we can't thank you enough for taking your time to share your your experience and your series on this, which uh, we think are, are right on the money. I mean, you again, you've got something here that is important, and it certainly has uh, affected a lot of... If you look on the Internet, you just see how many ships, how many planes, how many people have disappeared in the Bermuda Triangle without a trace? And you're the first person that I know of to come up with any kind of an explanation about what's happening and has also had the experience. It's it's just amazing that you and your dad and your guests survived this. All, I think, due to your quick thinking. Yeah, okay. Well, I appreciate you saying that, okay. Yeah, and I'll make sure that you get David's uh, 
contact info. Yeah, that would be good. You could I, I think you would find it very interesting to see how he yeah. has, as he's a former police detective, mm-hmm. so he's put together all of these uh, missing cases and in a very systematic way. And I think you'll appreciate the way he has gone about it um, as a researcher. He doesn't provide explanations because nobody knows what's happening, but he has pieced together a bunch of things, and one of them is weather. So I think there's a lot you'll find you have in common here, and maybe the two of you can, can really expand this. So we'll make sure you get his contact information. Yeah, yeah, I'll check it out. That's interesting. If he thinks the weather has something to do with these disappearances, yeah. Cause I yeah, the too. weather's a big part. Yeah. So we'll get that to you. And, uh, Bruce, again, thank you so very much. Good luck with all of your research. Please keep in touch, you and Lynn both. Let us know how things are going. And if you come up with anything new, uh, please get back to us. We'll have you back on the show. Sounds good. Okay. Thank you, Patricia. Thanks, PK. Yeah. You're welcome. Thank it's a you. Good show. Thank and, you. Yes, this is good great. Everybody will we will be back next week. We've got another great show for you. And until then everybody, we'll see you on the Blue Highway. Good night. Good night. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural.